Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, we want to continue our study of the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, as we look at chapter 6. And for our topic today, we want to talk about the work of God, the work of God. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. So in chapter 5, we talked about how Jesus is a God of mercy, Uh, mercy being indicative of him not giving us what we deserve. What we deserve is death. What we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is everlasting torment. But God sent his only monogenous son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us that we may... uh, have a reprieve, that we may have uh, a relationship with him, uh, that we wouldn't have to deal with the uh, sin effect. So we thank God for Jesus who uh, suspended our sentence. So we now have a relationship with Christ. Uh, We have a relationship with God. So we are grateful for the Messiah for coming and for delivering us. So in chapter 6, John records Christ leaving Jerusalem for the other side of Galilee. And according to John, uh, Jesus had gained a large following because of his ability to heal the sick. Now, just a a reminder, the topic of today's uh, broadcast is the work of God meaning God is doing something. God is working things out. God is in control. Despite what we all see, despite what the news show, God is still in control. God is still in control. The evil, uh, the ills of this world stems from the fallen state of what happened with Adam. But despite 
all that's going on, God is still all-powerful. God is still saving. God is still redeeming. God is still in control. And a lot of what we're doing in, t- in terms of tra- uh, transgressing is because of our rebellious nature. The world, uh, those in the world, they live according to their own precepts. They live according to their own ideologies. They live according to their own philosophies. So as a result, uh, we are experiencing the ills of this world, the birth pains. And so God cannot be blamed for the things that we do and for the transgressions that we make. I don't have a, a, a time on this episode to deal with the problem of evil. That's a whole class by itself. But the topic of this chapter in John 6, the thesis is dealing with the work of God. And just remember that God is still working. God is still working. And God is working uh, for our good. God is working on our behalf. God is pulling for us. And if we want a life and life more abundantly, we have to surrender. We have to surrender. Now, if I can just take a few uh, minutes to talk about the prior chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. Or let's look at, let's start with verse 16, where it says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And if you were in my hermeneutics class, I would ask you to go and read the previous verses before 16 so you'll know uh, what these things uh, that John is talking about. What is he referencing? But what I want us to take a look at is John 5:17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Think about that. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. So in a sense, God has always been working. He has a plan. God always has a plan. Even when Adam fell, God had a plan. He's working things out for those who are open to righteousness, those that are open to salvation, those that are open to their purpose. God has always been there, and God always has a plan. And it serves us, is to our benefit, if we find out what that plan is. If you having a hard time with your relationships? Find out what God's plan is for marriage. If you're having a hard time being single, find out God's plan for singleness. If you're having a hard time with children, find out what God's plan is for raising children and for dealing with prodigals. If you're having a hard time with family issues, Find out what God's plan is for bringing peace into the home. So God has a plan. And it's up to us to find out what that plan is. And once we find out what the plan is, we have to be open to follow God's script, to follow the plan. We have to be open for that. Then when we look at John 6, 29, 
It says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And we're getting ready to unpack that. But I just wanted to uh, highlight those two verses uh, because chapter 5 of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6 is highlighting uh, the fact that God is at work. All of the miracles we see, all of the messages is to highlight this point, to buttress this point. God is at work. And you may not always see it in your phys- with your physical eyes, but God is at work. And what's done through faith will ultimately manifest itself in the physical. When Moses started building the ark, there, it hadn't rained before. But God had prepared him for rain. He hadn't, he hadn't seen it. His family hadn't seen it. The community hadn't seen it. But rain was coming. So when God uh, is at work, he reveals things to us through faith that we may have never seen before. So keep that in mind. Jesus' ability to perform signs and wonders, which we call miracles, wasn't for show. It's never for show. He performed miracles in order to get the attention of the audience. Why? So that they may believe. When God is at work, he's at work uh, with the sole purpose of us believing in him and believing in his message, which will ultimately give us an opportunity to accept or reject him. But God's signs and wonders is geared towards us believing. When God performs a miracle in your life, when God opens up doors that's never been opened, when God revealed things to us that no man, no flesh could ever reveal, it's not there by accident. It's not there by chance. It's there to cause you to believe. To believe. Do you believe that living for Christ is the best thing for your life? Do you believe that selling out for Jesus is the best thing for your life? Do you believe that studying God's word will help you to become rooted? Do you believe that uh, loving those who are unlovable is the best approach to relationships? Do you believe that God would take care of your every need? So when God performs miracles, not only is it to confirm the message. Not only is it confirm the messenger, but it's also uh, intended to cause us to believe. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, 
social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So John writes about a large crowd that was following Christ. Jesus was using this opportunity to test Philip. Verse 6. Philip assessed the situation and surmised that they didn't have enough food to feed the crowd. Andrew noted that there was a boy with five bread and two pieces of fish. Jesus seized the opportunity to display a miracle that had never been seen before. He multiplied the bread and fish. So as a result, there was so much food that they had extra, verses 11 through 13 of St. John. So the ability to, uh, for Jesus to perform miracles further demonstrates that Jesus is indeed, number one, the Messiah. Number two, he is from God or after the order of God. Number three, his message is authentic. Being free, as that word demonstrates, dikaios, uh, it, it, it's part of this imagery of being liberated. Sin doesn't dominate us. And then when you say, I can't do it, then you're contradicting scripture because Paul says we can do all things which strengthens us. Galatians 3 and 11, again, this whole idea of sanctification, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Amen. We see this doctrine in the Old Testament where it says Abraham was justified by faith. And we know that certainly New Testament saints are justified by faith, where it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So Galatians 3 and 11 reminded us, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. And that is evident, for the just shall live by faith. We, we have been justified, and we talked about that in the previous episode. Uh, and if you didn't hear the previous episode, please go on our website, srministries.org, or um, go to the Life Audio uh, platform, and you'll be, you'll be able to listen to it. But this whole idea of Jesus buying us from the marketplace of sin, that this idea of redemption, then it says, we shall live by faith. That's the, uh, the gas that goes into the engine to make the engine run. So as Christians, uh, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, and without faith, Scripture tells us it's impossible to please God. So remember that, Galatians 3.11. And this whole idea of sanctification, again, is God has set you apart for him to use. That's what sanctification means. It's the same definition as holiness. Sanctification or to be sanctified means that God has set you apart and he's going to use you. He set you apart. You're not just secular. You're, you're, you're not just you're, you're no longer profane. God will use, use you as an instrument. He sees you as holy. Now, Galatians 3.24 says this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I love that. When Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it, this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying uh, when the law was given by me and the Father and the Spirit, when it was given to humanity, it was intended for a specific purpose. But somewhere down the line, men started worshiping the law instead of the lawgiver. And as a resort, as, as a result, 
uh, they started being less than objective about what the laws actually meant. It's one thing to see the law. It's one thing to hear the law, but it's one thing to interpret it correctly. And what happened is by the time Jesus came uh, to earth, that uh, many of the religious leaders had misconstrued the original meaning of some of the laws. So uh, what Jesus is saying is the, the, the original intent, the true meaning of the law was supposed to serve as a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, meaning that the principles of the Old Testament law are still being followed today. It, will, it, it serves as a precursor to what he was getting ready to talk about uh, in terms of, uh, of it being complementary. So what Jesus believed about the law, it's the same as what he meant back then. But now he's illuminating and making more clear what the original intent of the law was supposed to mean. So when they um, charged Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath, Jesus asked them, um, was the Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? He was challenging their views because in the, in the Jewish first century uh, view of the Sabbath, they have created all of these rules, all of these um, customs around the Sabbath that God didn't even ordain. So when Jesus came, he challenged a lot of their doctrine, a lot of, a lot of their views he saw as false. So he was helping the people become liberated from the bad teaching and the bad interpretation of the law. But yet the law had a a significant meaning. The law had a a true meaning in the sense that God had principles associated with the law that he wanted people to understand. So the law served as a schoolmaster. If you followed the law in the Old Testament, the way that God wanted you to follow it, not the way that some of the people were twisting it, then Jesus is saying you were on the right track because it was leading you to the teachings of the Messiah. The law served as a schoolmaster. It guided them until Jesus arrived. Old Testament saints, they look forward to the hope of the Messiah. First Peter 1, 9 through, 9 through 12. When you get a chance, read it. Old Testament saints, they look forward to the hope of the Messiah as found in First Peter uh, 1, verses 9 through 12. This is Peter talking about uh, writings from Daniel, such as Daniel 3:24. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. And I love Isaiah 53 because it talks about the suffering servant. And its its prophecy is clear the way that Isaiah writes it about uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon his hands and by his stripes were healed. So Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the hope of the Messiah, which we now realize was Jesus. So when you get an opportunity, read Daniel 3, verses 24 through 25, Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, and even Zechariah 9 and 9, Zechariah 9 and 9. Now, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, Romans 5 and 9. We, we, we have been saved from wrath through him. We thank God for that, and we need to be appreciative. We need to be appreciative of what what Jesus did on the cross as it relates to the atonement, as it relates to uh, him saving us from wrath. Since we have not been justified by his blood, 
how much more should we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 5 and 9. Then in Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. Again, Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in. Then God's redemptive plan through history. All throughout history, God has been working on behalf of humanity to uh, uh, reconcile the broken relationship which took place due to sin. And so through the word, through the law, he guided those who believed on him uh, towards a relationship with him. And then when Jesus came, it became more clear uh, what God was trying to do in terms of salvation for all the world. And when you get a chance, look at God's redemptive plan through history uh, from the time of um, Abraham, uh, even through Moses, uh, which some call the middle bronze. And then from Moses to Judges, uh, some people call that the late bronze, and, and that's 1500 to about 1200 B.C. Then from Judges to Solomon, some call the Iron Age from 1200 to about 970 B.C. Then d- the divided kingdom, we see that uh, during the Iron Age, uh, the second part of the Iron Age, 970 to 600 B.C., uh, to the end of the Old Testament, around the third period of the Iron Age, 600 to 330 B.C., and, of course, the intertestinal period uh, during the time of uh, Hellenism, uh, 330 to 165 B.C., an intertestinal period, uh, the Maccabean period, as they call it, uh, 165 to 63 B.C., and then the New Testament uh, under Romans province, uh, 63 B.C. to A.D. 330. And why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this because God had a plan since the beginning of time. The devil thought, Uh, He had one, but God all along was preparing Jesus to come that we may know the true essence of salvation, uh, that whosoever will would have an opportunity to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But even before Jesus came, God had a plan of salvation through the law uh, and through relationship with uh, his uh, chosen people um, that he deposited the word to that all of us may uh, be reconciled unto him. Now, the word sanctify comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means sacred. Again, the word sanctified comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means sacred, and it's the the root word of the word sanctification, and that's what this topic is about. And it means sacred. Do you see yourself as sacred? Well, God desires to see you as sacred. He expects us to be sacred in a sense that um, just like, let me paint this picture, just like if you use the knife to uh, offer up a perfect animal without blemish to God in the Old Testament, that knife that you would use to sacrifice that animal uh, would be considered sacred. You wouldn't use that same knife to Uh, chop down a tree. You wouldn't use that same knife to uh, cut clothing. That knife, only usage was to offer up sacrifice to God. So then you would 
called that knife a sacred knife, a holy knife, because that knife is used for a holy purpose. In the same way, God sees us as sacred. So we can't use the living sacrifice, which is us, in a secular way. God wants to use us for holiness. God wants to use our hands for holiness. He wants to use our mouths as, uh, for holiness. He wants to use our eyes for holiness. He wants to use our relationship for holiness. He wants to use the type of clothes we wear for holiness, meaning that our lives now are to be holy. They are to be distinct. They can't be secular. It must not be sacred. So to label something or someone as sanctified means that the object has been set apart for God to use, for God's sacred purpose. Both inanimate objects, like I described the knife, uh, things that are now alive, that are set apart for God, are revealed even in Genesis 2 and 3, Leviticus 8 and 10, as well as people are called holy or sacred, Exodus 40 and 13. So they're considered sanctified for God to use. Then Genesis 2 and 3 is an example. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. See, the day is, is sanctified. That's an inanimate object uh, uh, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. In Leviticus 8 and 10, and Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. Again, inanimate objects being sanctified. So here's the point. The point is the idea of sanctification deals with you being a living sacrifice. It deals with you being set apart for God to use. Perhaps you never thought about it that way, but that's the biblical definition of sanctification. God wants to use us as holy people, and he wants your life to be holy. Everything we're involved in, he wanted to be holy. Holy thoughts, holy actions, holy words, uh, holy songs, holy worship. He wants everything that we're involved in to be holy. This is why it's dangerous to try to uh, bring worldliness into the church. All of us have a standard, not just a pastor, not just your elders, not just a Sunday school teacher. We all have a hand in living holy. So I pray that you learn something from this episode. Uh, please thank you for your uh, giving and thank you for your prayers. And remember, uh, to support us online or to send your donation. Remember to do it for the truth what so many do for a lie. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose Hey there, it's Carly Marcoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.